0: as much delayed gratification as you can handle. The, the harder that you can work before you try to get that what I deserve or what I worth moment, the better it will be later and by the longer you'll have that. Work.
1: Hello and welcome. I'm Kate and this is the Freelance Founders Podcast, where we talk to creatives who have designed their own careers. We're so grateful to be able to interview these bright minds and share their incredible journeys with you. Welcome back to the Freelance Founders Podcast. Today, I have the pleasure of speaking with partner in Sneeze Magazine and born and raised, Bradley Carbone. Welcome, Bradley, and thank you so much for being here today.
0: Thank you. Nice to see you.
1: Great to see you too and speak to you. First, we ask all of our guests if you could just take us through your career.
0: So once I got out of school, I came to New York, right? So I went to to university and then I came to work in New York. And I started out as an intern at Complex Magazine. I kind of moved up the ranks there. So I started in the photo studio and then worked up to becoming an editor over the course of about seven years. That kind of was from an inflection point for, for print media that then became websites. And then kind of as I was on my way out, it was social. So I kind of learned a lot about the media side of things there. My next job, I went over to Adidas, where I worked in the New York office for a department called Trend Marketing. Trend marketing was kind of the early stage influencer marketing program for the brand. So we were doing product gifting, parties and events, collaborations, all those kind of what were subculture activations at the time and kind of bringing them to the bigger brand. After Adidas, I moved to an agency called Starworks. That was, you know, a multi-brand agency across mostly fashion, but a bunch of different companies. That was kind of more client-side client stuff. And then finally, I moved from Starworks to a company that we formed called Sneeze, which was a spin-off to the Sneeze magazine. So to rewind, Sneeze magazine is about 13 years old. And that was kind of running, at least for me, as a kind of side channel while I had all of my full-time jobs. When I left Starworks, Sneeze kind of became a full-time thing for me. And then when we develop this kind of sneeze agency model, that's when we start to reach out and join these other companies. One of them that you mentioned is born and raised that, you know, we've now become kind of fully uh, a part of, but I've also had a bunch of other partners that we've worked with over the past five years now.
1: Amazing. It's so interesting. I've known you for quite some time. I remember when you were at Adidas and then obviously at Starworks, and I know your partner very, very well and worked with her at Capsule. Working within the fashion industry, we know that there's a big focus on community and and network. What did you find was the hardest part in building your own network?
0: I think the hardest part with with the network building is it's kind of that chicken and the egg scenario. You need the people to make it happen, but you need to be making it happen to get the people, right? So I think I was lucky that I was able to be in New York. You know, being in a big city provides a lot of social moments. And what I found in New York specifically, and it's probably common across most of the cities, is once you're there long enough, you start to see familiar faces that then become friends, that then become either better friends or business partners. And then it kind of, all of a sudden, one day it kind of lands in place. But it's definitely kind of, it's a long process of being around, being present. At least for me, I was engaging as best I could uh, with the people around me.
1: I can't agree with you more with engagement. I think that's one thing that, just because you meet person one time or you work with somebody one time doesn't mean that like they're continuously in your network. You kind of have to continuously engage with people on the regular and really build those personal relationships. I think, I'm sure you agree with this. Like a lot of my network have become personal friends. Like you and Barbara have become such personal friends of mine and we've worked together for quite some time. And it was from just constantly staying in touch with you guys, seeing what you're working on, especially what type of pro- projects you're working on or what you have coming up in the pipeline. If you needed any of my services, it's very intimidating for a lot of people when it comes to building out their networks is because it's that aspect of like, I'm bothering people, I'm bugging people, but it's really not. It's just you, you know, trying to keep a constant like pulse on, on what's happening within the industry that you're working in or trying to get into new industries.
0: Yeah, I think it's additive. If you, you get the opportunity to work together and you do a good job, people remember. And no matter where you are, it's always a small town, even in the big cities. Your kind of reputation is everything. You know, and that's like even with working with you, right? We know that when we work with you, it's going to be tight. So when something comes up, you're on the first list of people to call.
1: Thanks. <laughs> when we're talking to freelancers, and especially in the freelance founders community, in itself, it's a community. So people are networking. but when a lot of people are going freelance for the first time, building their network or leaving a full-time job where there was that like safety net of knowing that they had a network or they had those contacts were there. What would you tell someone who is new into the freelance world on how to like dive in in building a network besides engagement? Like what else would you suggest?
0: This is probably not the right answer, but the kind of first thing is, to use that real job experience for as long as possible. Like you said, it's a safety net, it's a buffer, it's a way to meet people in a secured environment. It's probably the fastest way to network because you're, you're in a corporate structure and, there's, and then there's kind of probably your like partner communities that the company's interacting with. That way when you do go freelance or if you start to do side projects while you're still working, that network is already whatever, whether it's a quarter of the way there, halfway there, all the way there. To kind of really use those vehicles to develop the network. I mean, your question is more about how do you do it once you're out of there. A lot of that probably depends on personality type. If you're gonna go at it without the safety net and the structure, you have to be really outgoing and really aggressive. When you're on your own, you're you literally have yourself and your resume to offer. Where when you have the company, you are kind of within this whole structure and you can use it as a tool to at least get a a, a baseline set of contacts that then you can develop. And as I said earlier, when you're doing kind of your freelance stuff by doing great, then you can get more and more people. So I think it's always about burn as few bridges as possible, rip off as few people as possible. That way you get a solid reputation and then your network can grow much quicker. That's a great piece of advice.
1: You know, I remember when I my last company got sold and I decided to go freelance, I scoured my, my Rolodex and just kind of reached out to as many people as I could to have coffee with or anybody I've worked on fashion shows with or projects with just to be like, I'm freelance. This is where I'm at. What do you guys have coming up? I would love to like work with you in some sort of capacity. And to your point, no matter what the project was, like I definitely took some projects that were maybe below my pay grade, but I knew that if I went in and like smashed it and like performed really well and did really strong work... And we had a great working relationship. Then that way I knew like, okay, if they have another project down the pipeline, I know they'll come back and want to work with me. I definitely agree with like, you got to go in. You kind of have to also just like pick and choose what you think you want to work on. But at the same time, it's okay to say yes and like crush the project and show your fullest potential because that's going to come back around and like pay it forward. So thank you for sharing that.
0: It's much delayed gratification as you can handle. The the harder that you can work before you try to get that what I deserve or what I worth moment, the better it will be later and probably the longer you'll have that later.
1: Well, and also like some of those smaller projects that you work on could really lead you to like much bigger projects down the line. So for me, I would be like, I would say, don't always like say no to the smaller projects because those could lead to a much bigger opportunity. For example, I worked on the Kappa Anniversary Project in Art Basel with Vanessa Beecroft. And then that, she brought me on to a much larger production like a year later, you know, and it was, and that was super rewarding because it was a new contact for me through Barbara. And then I was able to like actually work on another really amazing project that was a big, much bigger scale. So don't always like dismiss the smaller projects. Those definitely can lead to future endeavors. I would love to kind of talk more about now, like you going from a full-time job from Adidas and Starworks to now being partner at Sneeze and Born and Raised. How did you find that transition? And were there any like major challenges that you faced?
0: For me, I worked to make it a fairly gradual transition. Sneeze is 13 years old. And so that's been running alongside all this other stuff the whole time. And same with these other projects, it's kind of, taking on more and more things while I had the other jobs until it seemed that there was enough there, right? So kind of holding on to the security while developing these new projects made the transition quite a bit smoother. In terms of challenges, the challenges that I probably had, as anybody has, is just kind of that kind of self-management, knowing how to map the time and how to handle all these things. Because also with freelance, you kind of have to have more inbound work than you can actually do, right? Because things are inevitably going to be fall, inevitably going to fall through, and you still have to pay your bills. You still have to support yourself. So I think that that's kind of where the challenges are: is just making sure that there's a strong enough pipeline before jumping into this very individual part of things.
1: I couldn't agree more. I I also worked alongside my full time job with freelancing and. Once I went full time freelance, you know, there is that balance of like, okay, can I pay my bills, especially living in New York City? And am I taking on jobs that at first, yes, it's just for money. For me, it was just for money at first. And like, of course, I liked my clients, but really shaping like what I wanted to be creating. And I think that it's also really important to make sure that the jobs are are also like very rewarding from a values aspect and making sure that you're enjoying that work and working on Different clients.
0: Yeah, you absolutely have to love it. You have to love it more because you're going to work so much more and so much harder. And that's kind of one of the myths, right? It's like, oh, if I do freelance, I can charge more and I can do less, where really it's the opposite. The end dollar amount might be higher, but you're going to work more. So you really have to love it because there's going to be jobs that you're just going to do. You're going to work crazier hours, but if you love it, it's more rewarding.
1: For sure. You have worked with so many different creatives who are freelance, myself being one. What do you think is the biggest mistake that these creative freelancers make? Or have you seen any big mistakes that people have made?
0: I think that the big mistakes kind of like tie back to what I was talking about earlier. People that wall themselves off too hard. I'm only the photographer. I'm only the social media person. I'm only the web person. Because once you kind of say, this is my wall... I mean, yes, in 2022, everybody has to kind of state where their boundaries are and let people know when they push too far. But the freelancers that really succeed are the ones that see what needs to be done and make it happen. And that might suck to hear, but it's just kind of being a freelancer, you have to work harder because you don't have the safety net and you need them to remember you and they need, you need them to call you back the next time. So to me, I think yeah, the biggest mistakes are really around that kind of people being overly self-protective. And then the other thing is kind of coming off lazy, maybe if you're not even being lazy, but if you're not communicating when deadlines are coming or deadlines aren't happening, a lot of times when when freelancers are being hired, someone at the company is gunning for you. So you really need to bring it and kind of over deliver both on quality communication and time. You know, if you get done ahead of time, you're going to make the person that you're working for that much more happy and they'll look good for whoever they're working with, whether that's their boss or if they're another freelancer. But anytime you can over deliver, then people remember you and then there's, that goes back to the network idea.
1: Completely. I know that there's been a few projects that I've worked on with you guys that, you know, we definitely, there's a lot of people involved and there's a lot of moving parts and, I find that even as a freelancer, working with people that kind of have that like roll up their sleeves mentality of like, I don't care if I'm a photographer or the art curator, like I'll go help you pick up like a hundred tiki torches and like help you plant them or whatever, you know, like, because it's more of that camaraderie when you're on a project together, like it only, everybody's going to succeed if like we all work together. I respect people's boundaries 100% but it is at the end of the day, like a big team effort. And sometimes you need to stay in your lane when it's a really big, big, big production and just hit your deadlines because your deadlines are gonna impact other people's deadlines and the end product at the end of the day. So I couldn't agree with you more on both of those points.
0: Yeah, I think it's, it's that camaraderie and the network. You develop relationships through shared experience and you develop really strong relationships through shared trauma, right? So when you do these, Crazy program that you just everyone you feel like you're going to die and then it happens. You come out the other side and you, oftentimes you make a friend for life off of this stuff, and that's how your network can really start to scale up. You know, you do these big brutal projects or even small brutal projects. You come out the other side and then there's your contacts.
1: So when we're designing our own career paths we often are driven to make decisions based on our values. What are some of your
0: values? For me, it's about kind of working hard and treating people well. That formula has worked really well for me, but it's not really something that I've consciously chosen. My parents kind of brought me up that way, and I've always behaved that way. Of course, we have to work for money, but I feel that if you work hard and and you make sure that everyone is treated properly, that the money comes later. So I kind of stick to that, and it also just makes for a better life. You know, you you have you have better relationships with people. You enjoy life more, and sure, it, you know making money is great. But in my experience, it, it eventually comes when you behave properly.
1: I definitely think working hard and treating others with respect is like so important. Especially, I feel like in specific industries as well. I think we have grown up in the fashion indi- industry where. You don't always see that. Like,
0: it's brutal. I mean, stylists, like, I don't I be on set and just seeing stylists just lighting up interns. And it's like, I know that that happened to you, right? Especially in the 90s. Like, that's just what fashion was. And I know you you now you want to give it to the young, the next young one, but it just, it's just, it's just why. Like, what, what's the point? I mean, if someone's not doing their job, let them know and get them to work or replace them. But just to like, go after people because that's what you dealt with. I don't know. I always have trouble with that when I'm on set.
1: You have to break that cycle. Like at some point, a generation has to break that cycle. And I feel like we are kind of that generation because we were not mistreated, but like, you know, we were pushed. We worked for free as interns. You know, we said yes to a lot of things. Like the answer was never no. It was always yes, yes, yes. And Also, I'm big on like lead by example. If you're working hard and you're showing people around you that you respect them, no matter what level they're at, they're going to want to work even harder for you. And they're going to want to like show and meet you at that level. So I think that that's a really great value to live by and work by. What has been your career high to date?
0: I mean, I've been lucky that my, I, I kind of like a linear path, you know, where everything that I do all my new stuff is more exciting for me. So I just kind of consider myself lucky. And I mean, some of it's luck and some of it is work, right? But I was able to get in when I got to New York and just kind of each new job that I did became more and more rewarding for me, right? So I started in media and then I moved into kind of people relationships at Adidas. And then I moved into kind of client side stuff, which is the agency industry can be pretty dirty, Right. Because you're trying to take as much money from the company and spend as little as possible. But we were still able to find ways to make that feel rewarding. Right. Do a good job. Make the people trust you. And now I'm in a place where I have kind of these like partnership interests in brands that I am very passionate about. I started at Sneeze because I saw it. Nick Fenton who started Sneeze, I saw the magazine. I was like, this is amazing. You know, how do I find this person and how do I get involved? When Nick agreed to have me come and start helping, that was extremely rewarding because I was so passionate about that product. And then kind of working at the fashion agency Starworks, I got to work with brands that were some of my favorite brands in the world. To kind of really be active with the founders of these companies was huge for me. And then now kind of my newest part where I'm involved in these kind of up-and-coming growing brands has been extremely rewarding because we can see the shift Right, so I've been working with Born and Raised for about four years now. And a lot of things that we were talking about when I started are now in motion. And we're really taking this thing and it's becoming a global brand. It's definitely a Los Angeles brand, but a lot of these moves that we started making about four years ago are starting to take shape. And seeing people wear the product, seeing these kind of collaborations that we're doing has been great for me. And I'm really happy with seeing these things evolve.
1: That's amazing. I mean, your career path has been so interesting to follow. How have you stepped back and evaluated yourself, whether that's about growth or success?
0: I usually, probably like once a year, I have like a week off, you know, where I really don't do anything. Sometimes it's twice, but it's always in that Christmas window. And sometimes in that kind of late summer window. I would say that those, I mean, sometimes at Christmas, it's a place to kind of look back. But I usually kind of look back when I lose my mind, you know, when I've taken on too much, you know, we've got the clothing brands, we've got the magazine, we've got side projects, like everything is just too much and kind of have a mini meltdown. And that's usually when I assess it, which is not, I wouldn't recommend that to anyone, but it's kind of like comes out of a necessity, right? You're like your head explodes and they're like, all right, how do I get back on track here? If I was lying, I would say that I do it every holiday and every August that I sit back and think about what's going on. But the reality is I think about what's going on when I'm like, can't sleep because I've got eight projects going and everything's like going to fall apart. But then it it always works out.
1: Everything gets done no matter what, even if you have eight projects that feel like they're about to fall apart.
0: (laughs) And that's kind of why production can be such a magical thing, because it always feels like it's not going to happen. Because I know, like, I remember watching those Firefest documentaries, and it's really just the last part that's crazy. Everything at the beginning is pretty straightforward. I mean, granted, they didn't have, like, a sane person on the team, which would have helped. But, like, that's basically what production is. Nothing is happening. Nothing's going to happen. Everything's down to the wire.
1: What's next for you?
0: A lot of the projects that I'm on right now are in this growth phase right? So Born and Raised is doing really well. I started working with this brand called Andrew down in Miami, which is kind of at a little bit younger stage in the business itself. But these kind of growth stage companies are very exciting to me. The majority of work that I do is kind of in the streetwear category, which is cyclical, you know? So when it's hot, it grows super fast. And then when it's in these kind of, which might be coming, a potential like sleep cycle, it's the we kind of really try to build this stuff up. So I'm super excited about working with Andrew and Born and Raised and now kind of getting into a new cycle, returning to larger brands. So getting on teams, whether it's as a consultant or within the actual structures and kind of taking these kind of small business learnings and taking them to the big companies, which, you know, then the next cycle would be the opposite, right? Taking the big company ideas and bringing them to the small company. But for me, the real excitement comes from continued connections and the network and the friendships that come off of it. I'm 40, which is getting pretty old now. <laughs>
1: no, it's the new 30. <laughs> yeah.
0: But there's always every couple of years, New York times does an article other than all the New Yorkers moving to Los Angeles. The, the other one that they always do is how do you make friends after 30? Cause like, I live in a big city. I have my routine. It's all the same people. But for me, All of these projects are how I've made really close friendships, and it just created a very rewarding life for me, right? So for me, it starts with work. With my wife, Barbara, it starts socially, right? But for me, it starts with work, but then i kind of been able to create these really rich relationships that have made life exciting for me, and it kind of keeps me going with new energy and new ideas.
1: I love that. I'm really excited to see what you do with Andrew and some of the new, bigger clients that you're going to be working with. So we we'll definitely keep an eye out for that. All right. We're at the point now where we ask the last four questions that we ask all of our guests. So the first one is, what advice would you give to your 20-year-old self?
0: Work and socialize as much as possible, you know, which I was lucky that I did a bit of that. But I think even kind of a little bit more kind of clarity on that, it's like, just go as hard as possible because everything that happens in your 20s helps set things up for later. I hurt myself nine years ago. I broke my neck. I'm in a wheelchair. And I had this super strong network that had come from kind of 10 years in New York going hard, right? Working for the magazines, doing side projects, going out five nights a week, you know? So just like up and out all the time. And that created a network. So when I got hurt, there was a huge support network. And then later, uh, and even now, all those people that I used to hang out with in my 20s now have these power positions and are creating both work and social opportunities for me.
1: I couldn't agree more about going hard in your 20s. Because you can. You can. You have the energy.
0: Yeah. Where now, I, you know, I think I go out after midnight like three times a year, you know, and they're like very considered, very specific. But when you're in your 20s, you can do it. So like really like work all day, go out all night and then like work after you get home so you're ready for the next day. Just do it.
1: What are some boundaries you've set? for yourself to maintain a healthy work-life balance?
0: My wife, Barbara, kind of does it for me. She kind of just like puts a stop on things. I have a problem with like when people want to catch up or have a meeting or do a phone call, I usually say yes because I'm kind of, it's ingrained in my mind to take it all. And then if the projects aren't good, we, you know, you just, you don't keep going. But I'm kind of always taking the call because you never know where it's going to lead. Barbara's been extremely helpful with me in kind of setting those boundaries of, oh, you know, we're going to go, we're going to go away. We're going to go out to dinner, whatever it is, and to enjoy the kind of social side of things.
1: Good thing you have Barbara in your life. Yes. A lot of people don't end up going on their own because of financial reasons. How did you approach your financial strategy when you decided to go off on your own or to leave full time?
0: I think for me, the, the finance side of things was not leaving the safety nets until I knew it would be okay. So making sure there was enough inbound money that I would be okay and kind of being able to look forward and know that there would be a pipeline of work that I would be safe on. So for me, it's kind of, if you want to do the freelance thing and you're able to have a job, keep doing both for as long as possible until you know that you're good. Because we're kind of heading into probably the most competitive time to be a freelancer. Everybody's gotten used to working at home. Nobody wants to work for a company and everybody thinks they're a freelancer. So that kind of whatever you want to call it, red ocean is going to be the craziest right now. So if you can have a safety net and do freelance and you just kind of selectively tell people what you do, the people that can give you jobs them you're a freelancer, people that can't tell them that you're working because also when you're taken, you're more attractive. Whether that's work or in a relationship, it's sick, but like that's how brains work, right? People see that you have a job and they see that you're like doing well, you're more attractive. People see that you're in a relationship, they call you and want you to come over. So the more actual stability or projected stability that you can do, I find that that helps a lot with kind of inbound opportunities.
1: I love all of that, actually. That's actually very, very, very good advice. I think we're going to see a big, shift very soon my last question for you Bradley is what is one piece of advice you have for anyone starting their own company or going freelance
0: i guess my my advice is to wait as long as possible which is what nobody wants to hear because you want to everyone wants to be their own boss everybody wants to go and get into it right away and there's a very small percentage of people where it's fine you're the superstar 18-year-old photographer you are the son of a hyper famous person or you come from generational wealth. You know, those are the people that can do it right away. But for the 99.999% of everybody else, use other people's money for as long as possible to learn, develop your network on someone else's dime. So that way, when it's time for you to do it, you have the highest potential for success because it is competitive. It's hard.
1: I love that. Thank you so, so much for being on here today with us. It's been so fun speaking to you.
0: I'm very happy to see you and thank you for having me.
1: Thanks, Bradley. Thank you for listening to my chat with Bradley Carbone. You can find out more about Bradley by visiting sneeze You can learn more about freelance founders by visiting our website, freelancefounders.com and follow us on Instagram at freelancefounders. We hope you'll share, subscribe, rate, and review the Freelance Founders Podcast, which is available for free on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you and have a great day.